and welcome to another year of Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. We've changed our format for the winter term. Instead of broadcasting weekly, we'll be on your radio every second Tuesday at 9. So our next show will be on January 22nd, then February 5th, and so on. In addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio, uh, Trent radio website. We also have a podcast at Pints and Politics www.ptbopodcasters.ca The podcast of tonight's show will be uploaded the following day by noon. You can watch for the posting on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, and every Thursday, a small crew of local pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, Elmer and Hunter, here in Peterborough at 5 for an informal gathering where at we rant about politics at all levels. All are welcome. Please join us. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Now, joining me tonight in the studio is our, our arts panel to talk about Peterborough's arts community, how it survives, and what has to happen to make it thrive, and how this community might best respond to the threat of gentrification. This is the largest panel we've had in the studio, so we have six people here. First of all, we have Executive Director of Electric City Culture Council, that is the city's uh, arts um, organization, the SUDITA. We have artist, arts advocate, and writer, Annie Yeager. We have Director and Curator of Art Space, John Lockyer. We have the owner of Ashburnham Realty, Paul Bennett. We have the founder of the Show and Tell Poetry Series, poet Justin uh, Millian. And we have artist, John Clemenhag. So thank you all for showing up. 90%. Thank you. Now, when it comes to public expressions of the arts, I know you will not forgive me for this hockey brawl metaphor, but here goes. Peterborough really does punch far above its weight. And the, the local art scene is clearly a valuable asset for Peterborough. It attracts visitors. It encourages people to live here. The art scene provides very limited incomes for some artists, albeit, albeit uh, woefully inadequate incomes. It's good for some downtown businesses. And it adds an estimable value to our community's quality of life. So I'd like to start on a positive vein. What are some of the factors that support the existence of this particular arts community? What's working right, at least for now? There is a woeful silence in the studio, which is frightening. Light at the beginning. Is anything I'll, going I'll, right? I'll jump in here, Bill. Uh, this is uh, a promotion. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I will say that I, I understand that all of us are uh, everyone in this room. I recognize from walking around downtown, from going to different events downtown, uh, and the downtown being the kind of heart of the arts and culture sector in the city. Then you know when you walk by places like the Garnet, when you walk by even you know the old Red Dog Tavern, when you walk by um, Art Space, when you walk by uh, most destinations downtown nightly pretty much there's a there's something going on almost everywhere and i was told to keep pretty much everything short so i will but uh, i will say that um most of those people doing that good work those live performances are either doing it for pay what you can rates or for nothing yeah which is a huge factor anything else that makes peterborough's art community click just, John. just to be clear that's not a benefit <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry yes, 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 yes. yes. that is the reality 
Yes, honest poverty is not necessarily virtue. Yes. I think uh, another strength of the Peterborough arts community is the diversity of practices that exist here compared to any other city of our size. The fact that both are are all of our literary, music, theater, dance, um, and visual arts sectors have multiple organizations that work. So it's really unusual to have a public art gallery, an artist-run center, right. private art galleries, to have a big commercial music festival like Music Fest, as well as um, Folk Under the Clock, the Folk Festival, things being programmed at Showplace, at Market Hall, at the Garnet, at the Sapphire Room. This is really extraordinary for a city our size. So compared to the rest of Ontario, where do we, for a city our size, where do we rank? You know, I travel quite a bit. I talk a lot with um, people um, who travel all across Canada. For example, the dance program put on by Public Energy is considered one of the best dance programs in the country by staff at the Canada Council, by peer assessors. Art Space does incredibly well in competitions at the Ontario Arts Council. The quality of work that we have here, again, is extraordinary for a city our size. Great. Thanks. Now... Beneath this rosy summary, of course, all is not well. Now, being an artist, musician, writer, performer in, P- or performer in Peterborough means uh, you must submit to a highly precarious lifestyle, if we can say that. Your income may be small, certainly unpredictable. Usually you need to find a job to support yourself outside the arts. Uh, you can't pursue your art full-time, so that, that means you have to look uh, at employment in Peterborough, and that's a constant challenge. Both your place of residence and your uh, place of artistic p- practice, be it studio or performance pl- uh, space, uh, are subject to market forces beyond your control. And you may have to move frequently. You can't make uh, long-term plans because the future is impossible to predict. Nothing is certain. So what needs to be done to make practicing the arts in Peterborough less precarious? I guess, Bill, for me, one thing that stands out just in that idea is that looking back in Artspace's archives, you can go back to the very early 1980s um, when uh, Bill Kimball and David Burke were two of the sort of mainstays at Artspace and if not at least once a year I would in our archives find newspaper articles that said pays poor for artists in Peterborough so (laughs) I think it's it's important to look at it in a, um, not in a vacuum, but in a larger context of um, the struggles that artists and arts workers have faced historically in Canada. Because I think if we look at it as a as an a, as a, a sort of moment in time in Peterborough, we actually lose sight of the long term work that people have been doing to try and improve um, our situation. It's it is without a doubt precarious, and I think it has unfortunately been precarious for quite some time. With that said, you know, I think people so far have spoken to um, what has happened in Peterborough and what has been able to persist in the face of those challenges. I am very fortunate in Peterborough to have a salary and have a permanent job. With that said, um, I'm by no means a wealthy working uh, arts worker. Um, because I don't actually think that exists except for at a few select institutions in, in the country. I think it's great that we 
pub, you know, we provide public funding to artists. It's a sort of pseudo socialist, uh, holdout from Canada's heyday, if there ever was one. But with that said, we're, we're brutally underfunded compared to many other sectors that receive public funding. So, you know, I think, I think it's great to, to stop, it's always important to stop and think about where we're at. I guess maybe the un- the unfortunate thing is that when we do stop and look, we realize we're maybe, you know, s- just slightly better ahead than we were not so long ago. So, All right. yeah, I think it's it's a mo- we're at a moment in time now. It's it's good to s- pause and reflect, but this is a long term issue for Peterborough and and for Ontario and for Canada. I think. Okay, so where is the money to come from? Now, I'm going to display my profound ignorance of classical music, but some great composer, it could have been Mozart, had great contempt for subsidies and, and said that, no, you you should live or die on the strength of your art, not by becoming, a, uh, I forget, not, not, not by finding a patron who will sort of keep you for life. Uh, at but your music, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty. So, <laughs> where is the money? Patrons listening, I'll <laughs> give you my number. After. Right, right. <laughs> Patrons, please call one eight hundred. Yes. Um, so, where is the money to come from? So, um, as John, John Lockyer was saying, we are fortunate in Peterborough that the city provides operating grants to, thanks, the city, I've got to get closer to the mic, people. The city provides operating grants to a number of arts organizations through the community investment grants, but those grants have not grown. The cap on them, the maximum amount of money that people can apply for has not grown. And those grants in relationship to what is provided by the province and what some other other cities provide doesn't stand up to snuff. The big change that all research shows, and there have been a number of studies done on this that makes a difference to artists, is when we can provide grants to individuals. And right now, outside of funds that are funneled through EC3, through Arts Week or the Arts Awards, the Arts Awards is not public funding. It's all raised in the private sector. We have no way to direct funding to support local artists to research, to create, to produce and present. So that's one key factor. Okay, now what could average citizens do to more more sustainably support the arts in Peterborough? Uh, buy art, buy books of poetry, pay more when you say pay what you can, right? And, and also not keep asking artists to donate their work and their services all the time. So at EC3, we get calls almost every month asking us to suggest artists to donate work for – and they're always great causes, a sports team, a, a, an illness or a disease. Yeah. But it's really important that artists get paid for their work and not to constantly be asked to donate it for fundraising What, what was the big campaign on last fall for Brock Mission? There was a huge piece of art. It would be interesting to know, did that artist, in fact, get you know, some dollars for that well, piece of work? artists will donate for arts organizations, and that's partly because there's a really you know, well-worked-out uh, 50-50 deal on, on, on those things. Sure. Um, but that's, that's a really key thing, um, to support businesses who support the arts. That's right. another thing an average individual can do. I am told by musicians. Yes, go ahead. I was just going to say that I think one of the reasons why the art scene in Peterborough is so successful is because we take artists in the city take it upon themselves to support other artists. Um, we are the biggest supporters of ourselves, and, and that's a problem. I understand that, uh, well, not I understand, uh, there's a new mayor. 
So the the biggest thing that I think needs to happen is the city needs to be the biggest advocate for artists, not artists being the biggest advocate for artists. Right. Now, I was going to ask, what should the various level, what uh, no, what roles should, should the various levels of government play in supporting the arts? I mean, uh, Sue's talked about uh, the granting. Others, what do you think are the roles of government? Any? I could speak to, uh, I think art and commerce should be completely separate. And I think that artists, uh, grant system, as much as it's, the grant system, as much as it's really helpful, it's always a temporary thing. So it's sort of like if you have a job and you have to reapply for that job every six months. And, uh, and in the meantime, also keep another job going on the side just so that you can be sure to pay your rent. Um, space is always a huge premium. We don't have enough affordable space, and there's tons. Artists in town need much more space. But all levels of government, like the guaranteed income supplement, what probably would have been a big boon for most artists because that would have mm-hmm. given them a very a stable base. And they, they, applying for grants is is fine, but you may not get that grant. It may be only five thousand dollars. That's not going to last you too long. So I think even though all levels of government need to kick in more money, I think we need to find some way of stably um, supporting artists. I, I couldn't agree with Andy more on that. That's one of my biggest things when I, I've talked to all the artists is that it's, it's you know, w- waiting for funding in any way is there's no way to live a life like that. So to me, there's got to be some programs and policies in place that can extend beyond election cycles. There's, you know, you can look out, you know, a decade from now and actually plan your life. And I, I think there's ways, there's lots of examples, I think, of doing that. It's just it doesn't seem that it's happened in Peterborough as of yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Well, the one that I, I no, um, the one that I keep looking at, and I talked with um, the um, 401 Richmond project about that, was the idea of doing some kind of a rental supplement that is very similar to the not-for-profit that could be a, a substantial one that goes back to you know artists that have space, and it's then it goes direct to the artist if you are declared to be an artist, and you can get the tax portion of your um, your rental space back. It's a you know it's not a huge opportunity, but it's an opportunity that can save you, you know, a, a large percentage of your space and something that could extend on beyond election cycles. You're not going to be waiting for funding, but it's something that um, isn't, in theory, going to go away, and it's not a huge cost for the city. I'd like to just add to that, though, that, that autonomous space is a very important part of it because you can have a rental space, but if you don't own that space or don't have control over that space, then there's no way that you really know that, that uh, you're going to that place is going to be in place, so you can't really establish yourself as an artist if you if you have that precariousness, whether you can af- whether it's subsidized or not. Yeah, and, and when you're living in uh, the middle class, uh, fortunate middle class bubble, I find myself in. I haven't. We haven't. Our family hasn't moved for 19 years, and I realize that in itself, for an artist, is a huge, huge privilege. So I haven't had to do the whole pack up, throw things out, find another place, negotiate rent or mortgage or whatever. Uh, that just frees up so much mental space. So this grant idea well, really makes sense. Paul. Sorry, I'm stuck in my chair here. The um, the grant idea, or I think, Sue, you've mentioned before the idea of actually creating a, a, a city hub of some kind that actually creates an artist yeah. district or whatever it would be that, it, you know, then there would be some kind of security in terms of not having to have a, a private I relationship. Have a, I have a list of about 12 incentives. I have a list of about 12 um, 
initiatives that other cities have taken around the world to try and provide longer-term stability and to ameliorate or remedy or kind of soften the, the negative impacts of, of gentrification. So everything from community land trusts, which are nonprofit organizations, and in some cities they're run by artists, um, and they do development in a certain area. Uh, that's called small-scale artist-driven development. Sorry, I'm going to look at my list because I'm, I'm a bit tired. Um, w- one really important one is artist-run housing co-ops. So there are, I think, four of them now in Toronto. And some of the most senior artists in the country um, would not be, I think, as well-known and as successful as they are if they had not had that stable housing over the past 25 or 30 years. Certainly the cultural neighbourhood designation, the creative and cultural hubs, property tax incentive, I think there's a lot of things city bylaws and zoning could do around music venues. So there are a lot of problems in keeping small-scale music venues open that have to do with city bylaws. I think those can be um, addressed. Um, are we having a moment of silence for the spill? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that has definitely in, inspired my research on that. Um, I think that with regard to development, too, a number of cities are bringing in initiatives that say new housing complexes have to have affordable housing, not just rent, uh, not just affordable housing, but rent geared to income housing. Um, you can certainly have bylaw incentives. This happens in Vancouver all the time, whereas if you're going to build a new condo, it has to include a certain number of subsidized um, live-work studios. So there's lots of cool things we can do. And there is a new mayor and there is a new council. There are new, new staff all across the board at City Hall. And the official plan update is coming down the tube. So it's a great moment to be talking about these things and developing ideas. Sure. Now, if I could indulge everyone for a moment... There is, of course, the the specter of uh, development and gentrification. Now, the city is going to grow. Provinces' revised urban intensity guidelines mean more people are going to be living downtown. Now, back when uh, dinosaurs roamed the earth... I used to live in Yorkville. Uh, now, Yorkville, for those who don't know it, uh, these days is a uber-fashionable uh, shopping district in downtown Toronto. But back in the Jurassic period of the mid-60s, pterodactyls flew over Centre Island and Tyrannosaurus Rex stomped around Don Valley. Yorkville was a very hip arts and entertainment neighbourhood. Uh, there were rooming houses filled with students, musicians, and artists. There were inexpensive, inexpensive restaurants, a few funky art galleries, head shops, coffee shops, a camera shop, nightclubs like the Purple Onion, where you could hear young folkies like Gordon Lightfoot and Joni Mitchell play, and even grocery stores. I mean, it was a regular neighborhood. People lived there. Now Yorkville is still, of course, cool and hip, but oh, so much more upscale. The rooming houses are now lawyers and architects' offices. The restaurants are now five-star. And Lady Gaga and the Rolling Stones stay in the boutique hotels uh, that have replaced the coffee shops and convenience stores. There, uh, there are uh, one or two very posh galleries in the district. I checked out my former address uh, on Hazelton uh, using Google Earth. The house is still there, albeit much tonier than I remember, and now it's a lawyer's office. Uh, the artists, the musicians, and the bohemians who used to live in Yorkville have moved to Parkdale in Toronto or the East End. Now they can be found in Queen Street West or further west on Dundas. 
Oh, All right. Go. <laughs> right. I, I think we have some. Okay. They gentrified. See, I'm out of date already. <laughs> so all this is good news for property owners in Yorkville. Their buildings have exploded in value since I lived there. Friends from my student days sold a house in the annex, which isn't far from Yorkville, that they bought in 1971 for $40,000. They sold that house last month for $2.5 million. Do they have any art? <laughs> <laughs> they now they do. <laughs> uh, and so it goes. But the students and artists and musicians no longer can afford to live in the neighborhood. The Yorkville art scene is gone. So back to Peterborough. Where does this leave us? Uh, I guess the questions boil down to gentrification follows a predictable life cycle. Artists attract tourists, tourists attract investment, investment attracts residents who pay higher rents, thereby displacing artists. Does this life cycle have to unfold the same way in Peterborough? Can we do it better? The number one issue that's that's, uh, pressing on the city right now is gentrification. Um, and av- a one-bedroom apartment in Toronto now costs twenty over $2,300 a month. And there's only a half a percent uh, uh, vacancy rate in Toronto. Those people are coming here. And the developers here know that, and they've been buying up properties that are fairly low rate and, and now are, are building places that are upscale to suit people that can are leaving Toronto who've been used to paying higher prices than coming here. Um, it's it's a huge problem, and our prices have uh, prices in Hamilton have risen in the last five years seventy percent in the housing prices. Here, I think it's about fifty percent in the last five years. That's completely unsustainable. You'd have to be making one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year to afford a twenty three hundred dollar a month apartment. Um, I don't. I think that's the number one issue the city has to face. And artists and affordable housing are tied at the hip. Where there's, you know, where artists can be, then there's room affordable housing for everyone. And if you don't have that, everybody has a big problem on their plate. And, and Annie, listening to you, uh, agree. And yet, the city needs to grow. Uh, growth is good for. Well, it's necessary for. Uh, Business development, it's, it's, we, inevitable, right? it's inevitable. So can we, how can we have our cake and eat it too? Or can we? Well, I, I think some of the things I mentioned before are really crucial to managing gentrification. Um, there are definitely cities around the world where gentrification has run rampant, where cities have had absolutely open doors to any kind of development. And that development has grown on the backs of the artists who help to create a cultural, civic, um, social ambiance in certain areas of the city. And that has been our practice in the past. We have not had zoning regulations. We have not had affordable housing incentives or requirements. Um, We have not done anything to support I don't think anyone's asked the city to do this, but to support artists' housing co-ops. There are lots of things that can happen and must happen, um, but we really we have to do it. We can't just talk about it. Also, just an understanding of the statistics that the city does itself, uh, which I, I'm not sure if they read after they finish them, but the, the statistics will show that actually uh, a richer, more diverse art scene that includes growth to the city will actually breed more money 
So it, it like even the greedy win. If you if you increase the arts output of the city and you fund the arts, everyone, even Scrooge wins. Everyone wins. Um, and I was just going over some stats today from all the different uh, surveys and whatnot that have been done, which is great work, but I'm not sure how many people are listening, again, as I already said. But uh, I remember uh, one of the stats that I read today was that a, a cultural traveler, like cultural tourists, spend twice as much as any other tourist to the city. And more than sports tourists, I've been told. More than sport. Well, don't don't get me started on the difference between arts and sports because I would take up the remaining half an hour. Um, we don't need to demolish a wetland to put in a new rink. Um, that any any arts and culture development will reap more rewards. Arts is the main. I will repeat that main economic driver to the city of Peterborough. All right. Peterborough Pete's fans are on the phone. All right. (laughs) Every dollar invested in the arts generates $20 in economic growth and development. And I think it's next to the petrochemical industry and mining. The arts are the biggest economic generator in all of Canada. Right. The arts are the only renewable resource we have. (laughs) Right. I think, and I think back back to John's point. That I think the big thing is to realize that it's inevitable, and I think that's the biggest thing. Is all of us in this room or anyone can't stop what's going to happen, and it is happening. To Annie's point, it's you know the the rents, the prices of everything, the four hundred seven. Yeah, well, whether it's to buy or rent are are really you know getting out of hand. I think the big thing is what do we do about it? That's how we have to look at something like this, right? We can't just sit here and complain about it. We have to figure out as a community. And, and I think Peterborough's really big competitive advantage at this is that we're not, hopefully, not going to become a Hamilton or a Burlington or are those other areas much closer to Toronto. I think, you know, people used to complain about Peterborough being too far away, but I think that's kind of one of our competitive advantages in this case mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we can still keep our unique culture and and you know art scene, and we're not just going to morph into Toronto. Hopefully, we can come up with some plans, so like some of the ones you've mentioned that will actually create a, a really vibrant arts and culture scene that other cities have lost because they get gobbled up by Toronto. Exactly. John. Yeah. A quick start. Sorry, it's Justin, not John. A quick start would be uh, a sta- installing a poet laureate in the city of Peterborough for the low, low price of $2,000. Four years. And that has been approved. Oh. It has been approved, and the city is providing all the funding, and EC is administering the project, and the first Poet Laureate will be appointed in, in April. Wonderful. For uh, National Poetry Month. Well, you heard it here Easiest first. Easiest and cheapest way to increase the cultural cachet of any city. If Coburg can do it, if uh, Dufferin County can do it, we can do it. We have to give a huge shout-out to Wes Ryan and Dean Pappas for getting that project on the road. Right. Now, I, I have heard musicians say that the point's already been made here, but to reiterate that one of the most frustrating things they face is the frequent calls to put on a benefit concert. Now, uh, I've done some work for nonprofits in town and social media, uh, and I know the need is great. Again, where... Where does the money come from? Because in an elite, elite sense, we have no trouble paying for certain sports games. How much are Leaf tickets these days? I mean, beyond my mortgage, I'm sure. But um, yet when it comes to paying for arts events, we skimp. Why is that? I have an idea. Why don't, why don't we why don't we ask the sports sector to to donate money for, to support the arts sector? There's silence in the studio. <laughs> John, I 
I think on that front, you know, just to kind of like backpedal a bit and and go back to the like, I'll speak to the sports front first. In that, I think there's finger pointing going on. I think what's just on on that front, what's important is to that funding funding sports is important. I don't think we should take any money away from. I don't think we should reverse roles because people who are engaged in you know recreation would not like that. But, but Carey Price makes more than double our family income every oh, time he suits up. Yeah. I think, you know, I think really what we're talking about is equal funding across the board and recognizing that things like, you know, sports and entertainment and arts and culture and heritage all play an equal role in the sort of community ecosystems that we've developed here. So I think it's just, I, the only reason I want to say that is I think it, within the art world, it is very easy to take a crap on better funded sectors of society. And, you know, I play sports, I watch sports, I I like these things in our community, but I want the, the sector that I am directly engaged in and and attempt to pay my bills with to be funded just as well so that's you know i think that's complicated right because i think it is really difficult when you are constantly looking to just get by to just look at people who are doing much better than getting by and saying why can't we you know they should yeah we can you know but let's just even it out across the board and keep everyone healthy but I think just going back to, you know, talking about how Peterborough is developing and how we as a regional center are developing compared to places like Hamilton, even Guelph, uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Kingston, we're, we're all somewhat different from each other. The thing we do have in common is we're not Toronto. We're all in relatively close proximity to the, to the city and we are always kind of measuring ourselves against it and living under that shadow of, you know, the evil empire of Toronto. <laughs> but at the, you know, at the same time, I think what we have to, we're, we're all clearly in, in this room and I think in this community, especially the arts community, aware of gentrification, what it can bring to a community. But I think we should just take that awareness and, and attempt to shape this, this change that we're in the middle of in a way that is healthy for our community. I think to Sue's point, there was a, a period of time in Peterborough 15 to 20 years ago where there was really seemingly poorly thought out development. The south end of the city was growing and, you know, Peterborough for its size, you know, we have the two big box strips, which is actually kind of odd for a city our size. Most cities would maybe have one, but, you know, we, we have two Canadian tires here and we have two Walmarts here. Um, and they're, you know, if you understand Peterborough's layout, you understand why one is in the north end and one is in the south end. They're meant to feed this kind of growth that we were expecting here. But that's kind of slowed down, right? And now we're looking at how the downtown is going to densify and and how the population of the core of the city is going to develop. And I think that's actually an interesting juncture in time because there is a lot of open conversation and there are a lot of people at that table who are willing to actually talk, which is, I think, actually something to take notice of because 20 years ago no one gave a crap what artists thought, what you know, community leaders thought about development, um, which is how we got you know, Lansdowne being built up, how we got Shemong being built up. And, you know, 
I, I think we're at a point where we we can actually take advantage of that. I think people are so tuned into what's happening in this community now in a way that we weren't a, a short time ago that, you know, th- this is on us as, as much as it's on developers and it's on governments. Um, we we have to we have it. I think we do have a seat at the table now and we have to take advantage of that as a community. Just just to take brief issue with my friend John there, not all funding models are created equally, though. <laughs> just, again, I, I can't believe I'm the one bringing up stats of all these people. If you knew me, uh, you, you also would, this would about be, greed. this yeah. is very strange. <laughs> and I do take Andy's point that it's not all about city funding, but that's the research I did today. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for instance, to compare ourselves, like we have been here with uh, Toronto, which is impossible to do, but places like Kingston, Guelph, London, etc., uh, one of the more interesting stats I came across today is that Kingston and Toronto, they, their the cultural class workers account for about 40% um, of their cultural class workers. But the city provides about 106 for Kingston and $107 ish respectively per person. Um, for the art, for arts and culture, whereas in Peterborough it's around $63, $64. So that's a really gigantic difference, especially when you, you know, make that one big whole number. That's a huge difference. Also, there's just, and I understand I am, I am a poet, so I am very low on the ladder, uh, of the art scene. I understand that. So I am looking up at what others have and wanting more in my bowl. I understand that as well. But when the city brings up, you know, any amount of money, five, ten, eleven, twelve million dollars for a rink, no one bats an eye, but when and again, sorry to harp on it, even though we've already Sue did has apparently already solved the problem. When somebody brings up to to council, as was done by the great work by Wes Ryan and John Hederwick, and there was one other individual, I think maybe Niambi Lee, about the poet laureate for two thousand dollars, they were told to raise their own funds. So again, yeah. there is there is a difference there. And and when we're coming, and we, I mean by artists in Peterborough, are coming as the largest cultural group in the city, again, we expect more of a voice. But ideally, the new council, the new mayor, will be more of an advocate for arts and culture sector than we've experienced in the past. Now, on the theme of gentrification and the inevitability of growth, my understanding is the province of Ontario has come up with new uh, intensity guidelines that say, that say, if I can boil it down and correct me here, someone has a better understanding, that uh, you have to slow down the suburban expansion uh, on the periphery and eating up uh, prime farmland. You have to start growing up and have more intensity uh, in other words, more people per hectare, particularly downtown. Yeah, but Doug Ford's about to rescind all of that. Unfortunately. All right. Listen, I, I want to, I do want to come back to the question of grants to individual artists. Sure. Um, f- while they are small and they're precarious, yeah. and people have to apply, and sometimes you win, sometimes you don't, there are some processes and systems which are more reliable than others, all kinds of studies demonstrate that cities where there is municipal support to individual artists, where you're putting cash into the pocket of the individual creator, artists do better. They do better because they have more resources to build their portfolios, their practices, to do Mm -hmm. exhibitions. And that means they do better when they go to the Ontario Arts Council. Then they do better when they go to the Canada Council. Then they may be able to create more work for a show in a private, uh, in a commercial art gallery. I want to come back to your Mozart example. 
I don't think we want a scenario in which artists' work have to live or die in the commercial marketplace. Mm -hmm. And one of the great strengths of of Canada and Great Britain um, and certain states in the United States is public funding to the individual artist, direct cash into the individual artist's pocket adjudicated by peers. And you can look at the Auditor General, you can look at Alison Bain's work, you can look at Ashak Mator's work. These are academics who studied this, and particularly in small cities, this makes a difference. So we have that in Kingston, we have that in Guelph, we have that in Oakville. To date, we haven't had it in Peterborough, but we're on the road to, to doing that now. Well, staying on that theme, what other jurisdictions in Ontario, in Canada, anywhere, have got the gentrification thing right? In other words, they, they've improved the housing stock and the number of residences, commercial facilities downtown, and yet they haven't squeezed people out and they haven't eliminated the arts community. Who is, is there anyone who's leading the pack? Bancroft. <laughs> I don't know of anybody in, here in, in Canada, but I do know in Europe there are some moves to uh, set bylaws to uh, compensate for artists. So, so if artists have been working in a building that's been low rent, and then a developer moves in, buys that, and then starts to develop it, the developer makes money, the artists make nothing, even though they've raised the credibility and the value of that property through their presence in the community. So there are ways in in Europe, like I think Berlin is looking at trying to compensate uh, the artists for being just for being in a building because they obviously any anywhere where artists move in, it improves the the property values. That's one way. And then other places I think in Europe are doing like artist zones. So those areas would would always stay at a at an even rent, like a well, like a community land trust or. There'd be a way of controlling the cost of that housing. It just couldn't couldn't escalate and become the speculative housing market that we have now. Now, uh, Bill Kimball, uh, after one of the first uh, first Friday art crawls, we were uh, we crawled into each other and uh, got into conversation about uh, uh, historical buildings downtown Peterborough. And as we were downtown, he took me for a little walk down George Street and, and said, "Now look up and." Typically, I look at the storefronts, but looking up along Georgia, there's some incredible buildings there. In other words, so how can we – and he also told me that some of those incredible buildings are leaking, are poorly maintained, have absentee absentee landlords. John! I think one of the one of the things that would be really cool is if the mayor and the city council took over a whole bunch of these places that are owned by out-of-town landlords that have just let them rot. Right. And hand them over to the arts communities. We can fix the roof. We can do all that. Right. Give us give us the property. Let the Y got sold for a buck. Right. They're giving them five bucks for that. Yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> but there's a yeah. lot of buildings downtown. Yeah. You give those buildings like make a point of taking them away. Yeah. Expropriating them. And handing them over to the arts community. Here you go. Good luck. I don't no, know no if we're allowed to allowed to talk about years. socialism and Trent Radio, John. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds pretty. But, I know. But artist led artist led development has been very very successful, and I th- I think Annie's right. If I had sure. to point to anywhere in the world where there have been a number of successful initiatives, Ber- the city of Berlin would be one. Sure. L A is um a, a, I was going to say a complete black and white, and that's a terrible analogy. But we have parts of L A where there are really progressive 
progressive, interesting things happening, led by black artistic communities, and where terrible things were about to happen in Latino artistic communities, one learned from the others, and things are, are turning around. But for sure, what John Kleimenhaeg just mentioned is a really key one. Even the step of fulfilling the requirements of the provincial um, architectural heritage and conservancy requirements would be a step forward. So, you know, moving all of the buildings were, that have been designated as having heritage important onto a registry and then getting them designated in an orderly way makes a difference. It allows people to apply for money to improve those buildings. It keeps the identity and character of the downtown alive and healthy. It makes the buildings more accessible. There's all kinds of important things, and previous councils have just been really flat about taking action on that front. And I'm hoping that the new council will really take that legislation. We have a full-time heritage officer mm -hmm. and really go to town on that. Uh, a locale, probably all of us are aware of the, uh, the Bankers Commons, mm -hmm. which is part of Peterborough I didn't know about until the first Friday arts crawls. What's that? We couldn't expropriate that. It's owned by a local business. <laughs> yes. I'm talking about other ones. No, 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 I, but I'm saying it's a gem. You know the ones I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, it's a gem, and what could be done to make sure, yeah, sure, maybe some of the buildings, the facades could use a bit of cleaning or so on, but uh, it's just architecturally, it, it's such a lovely space right downtown. It has history. It used to be a horse courtyard, apparently, back in the 19th century. That's why that space is there. And yet now it's this wonderful uh, venue in the summer for outdoor events. Even in the winter, there was a concert in the freezing cold I attended a few weeks ago. There's a choir there. What can be done to keep those things alive and, and in the public view so they're used in an artistic sense. Uh, to, to John's point, there certainly are a few uh, buildings downtown that do need to be um, put in better hands, but a couple of the ones that you're talking about are in better hands now, yeah, so they are they are getting renovated, no, I, which is good, but there are one or two, one uh, for sure that should, uh, the idea that you have of being an arts centre or arts hub would be ideal for that, um, but I'm not going to out anybody on that. <laughs> the, um, the yeah, so the, uh, what you just mentioned about the, the Commerce Building, obviously it's it's only a, a year new to me, so it, it will be sure. a, it's a, you know, those kind of buildings, they time and money, so it'll be five to seven years before it sure. you know, before it gets back to what <clears throat> it, it probably was in terms of its true glory. But you, you have to have a passion for it. There's you, right. know, you have to enjoy those, you know, the heritage type buildings, and um, you know, in, like to restore them, or there would be no reason to do them because it is not uh, the smartest way. So I, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's got to be a reason. And that building was—it's a beautiful building, and it has a lot of great tenants, and hopefully, a lot of them are there for a long time. And, and uh, you haven't gone out of your way to increase the rents ridiculously or anything, so it's not like they're no, no. When we never—we don't do that in any of our new buildings. We if, if we have a turnover, so if, if yeah. like so spaces like that where that. That particular building, we had lost Catalinas, uh, and we turned over to, um, yeah, yeah. to to Mike's new space, Providence. Those you obviously, if you re if you renovate, yeah, if, if you renovate them, yeah. and the the one, the idea of what gentrification, and as I think you kind of might have been alluding to earlier, the biggest problem for a person like me um, is property taxes. So yes. if, if I sat yes. there for the rest of time and didn't do a thing, I would end up losing money tomorrow. Of course. So even if I don't spend a penny on the building, my tax bill goes up by whatever a year. Right. And as as 
those same rates coming to Peterborough, the assessment values mm-hmm. of those properties go through the roof, and I my tax bill goes from X to X times two. So right. that's where even if I don't spend a penny and people bleed some of those properties that you're alluding to, they too are every day if going backwards yep. in, in, in terms of – so that that is the biggest challenge and that's why to me I think there are ways in which that property tax piece could be passed through to the artist so that when I go to say, hey, you have a $300 studio, I have to raise your rent to 350 that $50 can come from somewhere else and that, that right. rent stay at 300 and move forward. You know, that's not – it's not a game changer but it's right. something. How would the idea, and it's been floated here uh, 10 minutes ago, someone mentioned uh, artists co-housing, how artists could combine to own or run a facility downtown where they could live, they could work, and sort of take it out of the, uh, what I'm trying to say is property as commodity and like a stock uh, in the stock market and constantly goes up. Take it out of that game. Like, how could that happen? Well, in Toronto, the artist housing co-ops were developed as part of an overall co-op housing program. So one of the challenges is uh, repeated federal governments have pulled back on their contribution to to housing co-ops. So housing co-ops are buildings where um, the group of people in them collectively own the building, they manage the building, they manage who's in the building, and and any kind of surrounding property. Does Peterborough have no, co-housing? We do have co-op housing in Peterborough, but not f- specifically for artists. Okay. So I was talking about um, projects like Beaver Hall. I can't remember the one that... Arcadia Bain isn't an artist one; it's a general one. A lot of artists live there, but Arcadia is the other is the other one. So that is is a possibility. So that requires a collaborative arrangement between the city, the province, and the feds to get that going. It's a tough time to get any new uh, housing co-ops going. It doesn't mean it can't happen. And certainly in the late 80s and early 90s, as I said, that was like John uh, John Grayson, Colin Campbell. I could probably name 25 artists who've been really helped in their early days especially uh, by having housing co-ops. You know, Alison Bain, who was a geographer at Trent, an urban geographer at Trent, she's at York now, and we're bringing her up to, to give a talk here because she's kind of an expert on all of this. She did an interesting study on Peterborough about 15 years ago, and she said it's a what she learned in interviews, which is a great place for emerging artists, because comparatively rents are cheap, because this community is incredibly supportive of each other. You know, there isn't a lot of uh, backbiting and, and backstabbing. People work together on each other's projects. Artists who become successful in other places come here or who go to Toronto often come back. The really tough road to hoe is for mid-career artists. Right. So any of these things, grants, affordable housing, all of these things are really critical to mid-career artists and for Peterborough's ability to retain excellence in the arts. Right. And, and John has children who are very artistic. And I think he, like a lot of people, wants his kids to be able to stay here if they want to and make a living in the arts. So that's really crucial looking at that mid-career piece. Well, sadly, you hit on a theme that's come out in other programs as one of Peterborough's leading products is well-educated young people who have to leave to start their careers. Hence the graying of Peterborough. Uh, that's a huge one. 
Justin, I'll sorry. Solve that <laughs> I was I was just going to say just quickly about Bankers Commons and whatnot. There's a bit of a an optics issue as well. A lot of people, and this 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 is a, a wider kind of a anecdote for the arts in general. There, there's a lot of photography being done mm-hmm. in in the Bankers Commons area. Um, a lot of people use that for videos for walkthroughs um this this is not to promote evans contemporary or to promote any of the galleries in and around that area it's to promote other entities that have nothing likely nothing to do um with the art sector yet they're profiting likely profiting directly fashion shoots etc and that and i mean i don't mean to I don't mean to say don't go take a picture of something beautiful. That's not what I mean. And and we want people to be able to use that space. But there's just something that's very off about a, a gallery cluster that's always kind of in a precarious way or the artist inside uh, while other folks are, you know, taking glamour shots. Um, it, the optics of it are awful. And again, as I said, this could be a metaphor, an anecdote for the arts in general. Uh, if you asked anyone if they value the arts, they're going to say yes. Um, the problem is, is as I've, as I read about today with all the stats and whatnot, that is never, almost never backed up in any real or tangible way. Right. Now this, John, go ahead. So I, yeah, I think what Justin's asking, and this is a question that I think a lot of people ask themselves and ask of others is, if you say you support the arts, how? How do you actually support the arts? Because saying you do is one thing, but literally coming to a free opening and you don't, you just have to come and you have to be counted for. That's a fundamental support of the arts because at the end of the day, growing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, Growing an audience does actually matter to the way you are funded, right? So patronage matters. If you look at how many, you know, if, if you are an individual artist, spend some money for sure. Um, but for so many of the art spaces in the, for the visual arts, at least in this community, you can attend for free and your attendance matters. So that's like such a base level thing in terms of how you can support the arts. But John's disagreeing with me, so I'm going to turn the microphone to him. <laughs> well, here's the deal. You got to, you got to one night a month, everybody comes out and goes, Oh, look, I'm in a gallery. They're not looking at the work. They're, you know, they're just, don't don't just come on the one night. Then come on the yeah. Tuesday night where it's really quiet and come yeah, during the day, yeah. yeah, come and actually see the work, mm-hmm. right? Support right. the work by actually engaging with the work, not engaging with your friends while drinking free wine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I I agree with that, and I think I think what I'm what I'm getting at, and I think John and I probably agree on this is is the your patronage matters if you're coming to engage with the work. I think, yeah, sure. and and then when you when you grow beyond that, I think you know I think a lot of musicians, a lot of people who are working in the you know the pay what you can sector, the ticketed sector. The next question is then, okay, are you actually you know contributing financially to? the the health of our our art sector are you uh, yeah. i forget who it was who pointed out at the beginning of the night if it is pay what you can pay more, uh, pay more if yeah. you can afford to if you can't so, afford to then then don't no one's asking you to do that but yeah i i think it is really about if you support the arts then then think to yourself how am i supporting them sure paul 
Now, kind of to what both you guys are saying there, I don't know, has Peterborough even had that opportunity? Obviously, there's, you know, art space has been around, and that's one of the, the rare opportunities, the art galleries there as well. In, going back to the first Friday art crawl, I, I think the ad hoc committee and, and that entire group should be really proud of what they accomplished there. Because, Absolutely. I, because I don't think Peterborough had that. So I, I, I totally agree, and yeah. I think... Just with that momentum that was created, you what has happened is a lot of Peterborough that you would not have come to get into the art world that mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, in that, in, that, in that setting, you were starting to see accountants, lawyers, and those are people that are bringing their families to see art and buy yeah. art. Now, it's a slow grow, and it took a couple of years, and I think, <laughs> but I think it's something that should, have, should be celebrated, and obviously, hopefully, it's going to get carried forward. But I don't think Peterborough had that opportunity to, to expose art in that way that was so inclusive, open, non-threatening, where sometimes I think for the average person to go into a, a, a gallery that is, you know, midday on a Tuesday or something, it's they may not understand it. It can be intimidating, yeah. right? Where Fair. if it's an event where, you know, they can go out for dinner, have a glass of wine, walk around and just be part of a group of people that can actually start to enjoy some of those things and be part of it. I, I think it's huge. And I think it's, I think it's just, tip, you know, the tip of the iceberg of what it could be because I think we saw the momentum that that type of thing you know, that type of event started. Sure. Uh, and we have about two minutes left, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on the, the recent uh, demise and then resurrection of, of exactly what you're talking about, Paul, the first Friday art crawl. And some of the language floating around the demise was that the art crawl uh, was facilitating gentrification. And I, I won't dispute that, but then so do good restaurants. I mean, I love going to the night kitchen. That's great pizza. But is that facilitating because there's a great, great pizza place or curry mantra, uh, delicious Indian food, uh, really reasonable? Are those places facilitating the gentrification of downtown Peterborough and the destruction of the very things I'm enjoying? I, I need to speak to that because I think, you know, the artists, arts community set up the first Friday art crawl. That was what they they, they put that, that came out of their pocket, out of their energy, um, and it made a huge difference to the downtown, uh, to the business community, as well as the general public. And I think what happened there is that there was started to be, inc- well, part of it was the precarity of the, of the location of it, because we really never got a confirmation of what was, the, how that building was going to be evolving. So we didn't know if there was going to be a, a vape shop put in next door, or a a beer garden or, you know, there was just no way of really knowing how to evolve that. And then secondly, there was sort of an increasing pressure from the business community to make it bigger, to make it better, to change it in some way. And that's gentrification. I mean, I think the art, what the art community did in that space was fantastic and they should have, you know, that's the place where the city should have come in and said, how can, or, or the general public should have come in and just said, how can we keep this going? How can we support you people? Well, and on that note, uh, we must uh, come to an end, but Sue, Annie, John, Paul, uh, Justin, and John, thank you so much for making the time to, to uh, share your thoughts. Uh, next week, uh, we, are, we are not on the air, but in two weeks we will be. And uh, what we have coming up are a series of different topics that will unfold uh, throughout until April. I'm fighting to get my uh, meticulously 
prepared notes out. Here we go. Uh, some of the topics we're going to be tackling this winter uh, further on are uh, social media, uh, another politics panel. I'd like to take a look at youth unemployment, poverty, uh, reimagine Peterborough, hopefully, uh, the environmental crisis, and other topics. So we will be on every second week. Please catch us then, and uh, you'll hear us in two weeks. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.